0: So we know there's an abundance of research that if, if you have a preponderance of negative emotions in your life, you tend to have poor outcomes. But there's a problem with this research and that it's focused on averages. The average person with a lot of negative emotions has problems. But what I'm gonna argue is it's not only too simplistic, it leads to erroneous conclusions. Because if you have a preponderance of negative emotions, but you're good at being aware of them, understanding understanding them and clarifying them they're no longer toxic they're just information that you can actually use just as you use google to actually make inroads even better inroads sometimes than people that don't have a lot of negative emotions what is going on you guys Ryan calajuri here Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Cut the Crap Podcast, where every single week I'm condensing this book down to its core golden nuggets, save you guys a little bit of time. This week's book really challenged my idea of happiness. It really did. By default, I think that's one of the things that comes through in the podcast really clearly. I have a really good energy. I have very strong energy. I'm very passionate about what I do, and that definitely comes through, because everyone who listens to the podcast, they comment on that, and they always say, hey, Ryan, I love your energy. The energy that you bring to the podcast is infectious. I love it. I like that about myself. And so I try to embrace that. I try to magnify that. But there's also a dark side to everybody. We all have a dark side to us. And yet we try to ignore that. You know, maybe we're predisposed to anxiety or anger or feelings of guilt. And we try to just kinda you know, push those things aside. I'm kind of just making the pushing motion right now. You can't see it, but you know, we all want to push these negative emotions or these um Uh, so-called negative emotions away and so our author today todd cashdan he's the author of the upside of your dark side Why being your whole self not just your good self drives success and fulfillment now todd believes that it's these so-called negative emotions that also are a part of our success and help drive us but i didn't look at things like that before to me it was just the positive emotions and the negative i tried to push them away i never actually looked at embracing them i should know better I should know better because coming from a deep um, coming from a deep love and appreciation and understanding of the martial arts you know this whole idea of yin and yang positive and negative good and bad they make up one whole piece and us as individuals we're one whole piece we're a combination of good and bad things and so why do we embrace the positive and push away the negative we try to ignore the negative no we do embrace that part of ourselves and not look at it as negative but look at it as just nothing it's not positive. It's not negative. It's just a part of us. And we have to use this and understand it. We have to understand it and use it to our um, to our benefit. And so this whole book, it really challenged my ideas of these so-called negative emotions and now taught me that, hey, man, when you see things like anxiety, don't fight it. Embrace it. Understand it. And use it to your advantage because it's there for a reason. And I really hope that this book is kind of an eye-opener for you. I really do because... To me, it was an eye-opener for me. And so these so-called negative things that you have in your life, maybe they're not so negative. Maybe you have to understand them from a different perspective. And maybe, just maybe, you can use them to drive success in your life. So let's crack right into this one. The upside of your dark side. Why being your whole self, not just your good self, drives success and fulfillment by Todd Kashdan, Golden nugget number one. Your level of happiness can have a negative impact on your job. Now, let's say you're hiring a lawyer. You're looking for lawyers and you find a lawyer that's really happy, really upbeat, outgoing. You love them. Do you want that person as your lawyer? Well, according to Todd Cashdown and the research that he provides to us, you actually don't want a happy lawyer. You want a lawyer that's going to be miserable. <laughs> and it seems, it seems so strange, but it's true. Because in the book, they talk about this whole idea of happy people being less persuasive. Because if you want to persuade people, then you have to communicate a message in a very detailed, very specific, very concrete way. However, happy people don't communicate that way. Happy people communicate in uh, big picture terms and they kind of gloss over the tiny details. And so when they try to make their arguments, their arguments aren't as effective. They're not as poignant as somebody who, for lack of a better word, is a little bit more miserable. Now, Cash Dan references a study where Unhappy people and happy people were asked to formulate arguments. And the arguments ranged across a variety of different topics. And when they formulated their arguments, it was found that unhappy people's reasoning was judged 25% more convincing than those people who were happy. The happy people didn't have a very convincing argument. If you were unhappy, you had more of a convincing argument. Funny how that works. So somebody that's unhappy, not only are they more convincing with their arguments, but their well, what a lack of a better word, their BS meter is also finely tuned. In another study that Cashdan references, participants were asked to identify liars and honest people in a series of videos they watched. They were watching videos where people were denying that they had stolen something. Only half of them were telling the truth, though. So what do you think happened? I'm setting it up for you so you can kind of figure it out yourself. Happy people, the participants, happy participants were able to identify liars only 49% of the time, while unhappy people detected 62% of the liars. So the finding here is that happy people, people who are predisposed to happiness, are both less persuasive and more gullible. So when I go back to the very beginning where I ask you, hey, what kind of lawyer would you want? A really happy lawyer or a lawyer that's unhappy and miserable? Whether or not you like it, I think you know the answer to that question. Golden nugget number two, embrace your anxiety. Don't fight it because it's going to keep you safe and prepared. Now, this whole idea of anxiety, I bet you, I bet you, that you yourself, if you're facing anxiety, that you probably want to get rid of your anxiety. You know, you'd rather just not have it. I would rather be calm, cool, and collected 24-7, 365. Well, that's not reality. And in fact, anxiety is a good thing. If you can learn to manage it and embrace it as something positive and look for the positive in that. Listen, guys, I know it's not easy. Yours truly, I have anxiety. And I've had anxiety to where it's got to fairly intense levels of anxiety. And I've understood anxiety over the years and I've learned to embrace it on my own and say, these emotions that I'm looking at as negative, maybe they're not so negative. Because my anxiety drove me to read more my anxiety drove me to create cut the crap podcast. Why did I create cut the crap podcast? Because I knew that I needed to read more because my anxiety of not knowing enough information and that, how can I truly help people? How can I help clients? How can I help organizations? If I don't know enough information, I need to know more information so that I'm not giving them false information or incomplete information. So I need to know as much as possible. My anxiety drives me to get a book every single uh, week and read it. My anxiety drove me to do Cut the Crap podcast. My anxiety drives my success. But I embrace it. I don't push it away. As someone with anxiety, you're going to react far more quickly to find certain solutions to different problems than somebody who doesn't have anxiety. You'll also be more aware of those problems as well. You're going to be looking more into the future. You're going to be more concerned. And so for CEOs, if you want to be a great CEO, you got to have a little bit of anxiety because if you're too laid back. If you're too relaxed, then, you know, maybe you're not so concerned about the threats in the marketplace. Maybe you're not so focused on certain trends. Maybe you're just kind of ignoring the competitor across the street that might be taking up a significant part of your market share. This idea of being laid back might be harmful to your business. But if you have a level of anxiety to you, you're going to be on the lookout for certain threats like that, different changes, certain competitors. And so embrace that anxiety because it's going to protect your business. It's going to protect your people. It's going to protect your family, your income. You know, let's talk about survival as well, too. People who have a higher level of anxiety, they're also going to survive longer because they're on the lookout for things. And while people who are more laid back, they might look at things and say, ah, that's not a threat. Don't worry about it. People who are anxious are going to take action sooner, which might save their life. You know, so there's an example in the book of uh, a group of students that were uh, in a train that were returning from a school trip. And all of a sudden they smelt this, you know, burning plastic and it starts to permeate through the air in the train. Well, an anxious student or teacher, they waste zero time in searching for the source of the scent and alerting other passengers. Now, if you were laid back, you'd be like, I smell that doesn't smell good. But I'm sure it's nothing, so I'll just continue to go on my day and whatever happens, happens. But no, if you have a level of anxiety built into your system, then you're going to be heightened to that. Your spidey senses are going to go off and all of a sudden you're going to look for that issue. You're going to ask questions. You're going to try to get away from that if you think that it's going to be dangerous to you, yourself, or anybody else. I got one more personal story for you. I like sharing examples of anxiety because I I have it. So I want to share some personal stories in terms of how... Anxiety has helped me in my life to succeed. Uh, growing up in the martial arts, I competed a lot. Competed a lot. I started um, when I was ten years old, and um, you know, I first started competing in point tournaments in karate. And I was very lucky because my parents would always come with me to these tournaments, and they would always record my uh, my fights. And my first few fights, I got my butt kicked. You know, while they were point tournaments, there was still a level of, of contact um, there. And, um, you know, it doesn't feel good getting hit in the face or getting hit in the body and, you know, leaving with bruises or, or a little bit bloody. It never feels good. So I, I, I loved karate. I loved staying in the martial arts. And so my anxiety eventually drove me to study these tapes like an obsessed maniac. I would study them, study every single one of my opponents, how they moved, you know, how, how long their steps were, what kind of movements or what kind of attacks they were predisposed to, and I would obsess on these tapes, and it, was my, and it was my anxiety that drove me to study with such intensity. So what do you think happened as a result of all that study? Well, as a result of that, I went undefeated for six years in a row, and I competed all the time on the local level, national level, international level, and I went undefeated, that to me was a positive, and it was reinforcement to say, you know what, that anxiety that I had, it was a good thing, because it forced me to be prepared, it forced me to be ready, and so I didn't want to leave things up to chance, I wanted to make sure I had complete control, and my anxiety drove me to that, and I carried that forward into more full contact tournaments, where I competed in bare knuckle contact, I know, a little surprise about, about yours truly, you guys didn't know that about me. You know, I competed in uh, bare-knuckle tournaments, and these bare-knuckle tournaments, you know, all you wore was a cup, and uh, that was about it. You would still get kicked in the groin, and there's a video swarming around YouTube, actually, of me still. It's the one video that I've kept online, because it's a good lesson from that, and maybe I'll share that with you guys one day. It's just about um, uh, perseverance to me, and so I like to keep that up there to remind myself of that, but... um you know, I competed in bare-knuckle tournaments, and I kept my level of anxiety, and my level of anxiety that I brought to my tournaments maintained my level of preparedness. So again, you guys, don't fight anxiety. Embrace it. It's there to keep you safe. It's there to keep you prepared. And you know what? Your anxiety, while it might be difficult to manage, you got to try to pull the positive, extract the positive from it, because it's there, but it's only there if you're looking for it. Golden nugget number three. Don't fight anger. Embrace it. Now, there's two things from this one that uh, I found is interesting from the book. Now, number one, if you receive angry feedback, and if you're somebody who is uh, somebody who likes to maintain control of a situation, if you receive angry feedback, that can actually ramp up your level of creativity. There's an example in the book where they talk about a group of individuals who were given a brick, you know, just a regular household brick, and they were told to come up with different ideas for, their, for this brick. However, a group of participants were actually given angry feedback before they were told to come up with new ideas in terms of how to use this brick. The people that received angry feedback, they had that angry stimulus injected into them. They came up with more unique, creative ideas for using that brick than those people who hadn't been given that angry stimulus from somebody. You know, so people who didn't get angry feedback, they came up with ideas that weren't as original. You could see them coming, they weren't that creative. But that angry feedback, it drove people to come up with more unique ideas. The other thing I found interesting from this one was that people who demonstrate anger, they use anger to their advantage, they can actually enhance their authority. Because angry people, they're viewed as being more powerful than their happy counterparts. You know, happy people, they're happy go lucky. And I don't have to necessarily fear them. And so it's funny, but also by demonstrating outbursts of anger, for example, it can actually help you when it comes to negotiating. And so I find this very interesting because anger to me, I, I hate anger. I've worked with angry people all my life. And personally, when I see people getting angry, I see them losing their mind. They get emotional about things. And in sales training that I've taken it's actually been demonstrated that by losing control, by getting angry, it actually lowers your IQ level significantly. And so to mean, anger has always been a negative thing, not a positive thing. But if you're able to use anger to your advantage while you know, being in control, not being emotional, being in control of anger and using it strategically, then yes, I can see you using anger strategically when you're negotiating, for example. If you use outbursts of anger strategically, that could be an effective way for you to strengthen your authority. You know, For example, there was a study that they were referencing in a book of construction managers, and many people reported that selective angry outbursts had actually proven very effective at motivating an ineffective team to get their acts together, to start cooperating, to start bringing greater quality to their work. And so by using anger strategically and not actually losing your mind. So if you're predisposed to anger and you have anger management problems and you just get angry, you're flying off the handle all the time, that's not a good thing. That's weakness right there because you're not in control of your emotions. However, if you're in control of your emotions and you understand that, hey, anger can be a positive thing. I can actually use this to my advantage to get my way when it comes to negotiating, when it comes to getting control of people in situations, when it comes to ramping up people's creativity, I can use anger to my advantage. If you come at it from a more logical perspective, then you know what? Maybe anger is not such a bad thing. But I'm telling you right now, if you're predisposed to anger and you lose you lose control and you get emotional, there's very there's very little positive that can come from that. You know, you're gonna lose respect of people. Your IQ's gonna drop. You're gonna be making emotional decisions, not logical decisions. So there's just not a lot of good from that. So take a step back and think logically for a minute in terms of how you can use anger to become more influential. In whatever it is you're doing. Golden nugget number four. Embrace your inner narcissistic traits. Because it's going to help you become more successful. Now we're kind of getting to a little bit of a danger zone here. Narcissism. For the most part, nobody likes a narcissist. People who are full of themselves. No one likes to be around those people. Those people are full of crap usually. And so you want to stay away from those people. However, having narcissistic traits can actually help you. You know, people who have narcissistic traits, they're more likely to reach the ambitious goals they set for themselves. You know, when they want something, baby, I'm going to go get it. And I'm stopping for nobody. I'm stopping for nothing to get it. That kind of persistence, that kind of tenacity, that's important to have in life. You need that to be successful. And you got to have this, uh, you got to have a little bit of these narcissistic traits within you to get what you want. You know, for example, in the book, they talk about a narcissistic reporter who learns about a scandal and they're going to stop at nothing to get the scoop on this scandal, you know, and because they're going to stop at nothing, they're not going to give thought to any of the privacy rights of their, their, the people they're interviewing. They're not going to care about getting permission. They're just going to go ahead and they're going to do it because that's what they're here to do and they're going to get it. Nothing's going to stop them. Nothing's going to get in their way. I kind of admire that. You need that kind of tenacity, that kind of intensity to have a level of success in life. If you come to the table with this element of narcissism or narcissistic traits, you think of yourself as being maybe perhaps better than other folks, or maybe just better overall in terms of the skills you bring to the table. And because of that, you maybe lack self-doubt. And by lacking self-doubt, that gives you confidence to move forward and execute on the plans that you put in place. could be a very positive thing. Because oftentimes the thing that stops us, the thing that keeps us from becoming a success is the fear that we have in our mind, you Now the lizard brain, self-doubt. But if you have that element of narcissism built into your emotions, nothing's going to stop you. You're just going to move forward. Another element of narcissism that is very interesting and something that's very positive is that having narcissistic traits, having that narcissism built into your emotions can actually unlock a level of creativity that is second to none, you know, because narcissists are so sure of their individuality, you know, their brilliance, you know, they pay very little attention to people around them and the opinions of people around them, because they believe that their opinions, their brilliance, their art, whatever it is they're creating is just better than what everyone else believes it to be. It's just better overall. And that other people who are are poo-pooing it, they just don't understand. You know, they're lesser than me. They don't understand. And so people who have these narcissistic traits, they're going to create more novel ideas, more unique, more unique ideas that stand out. They don't care what people say about them. They're not going to stop because somebody says, hey, I don't like your idea or I think that's stupid. Because a narcissist will say, hey, listen, the only opinion that matters is my own and the people around me that support me, that prop me up. I'm going to use an example here. When I think about narcissists who are hyper creative, who, who don't give a damn about what other people think about them. do you think of all of a sudden take a second who do you think of i mean you need a hint i got this hint for you don't worry about it i got you covered she take my money when i'm in need yeah she's a trifling friend indeed oh she's a gold digger way over town that digs on me (laughs) i don't even know that's the words but i'm singing it kanye west Kanye West is madly successful, madly successful, and hyper creative. And yep, for lack of a better word, for sure. If you were gonna pinpoint a narcissist, you would definitely say that Kanye West is a narcissist. But man, look at what he does. The man is an artist, and so I find that kind of cool about him. You know, I mean, you can't hate on the man. I mean, well, you, you can if you want, go right ahead. But I mean, I I, I respect the, what he's I respect what he's putting out there. I really do. And so while there's a lot of benefits to narcissism, there's a lot of negative too. And I think again, like anything else, like I said at the very beginning, it's like yin and yang. You got to have balance. You can't just go overboard with narcissism. You can't be so narcissistic that you ignore everybody else around you and that the only person that matters is you and your own opinion. That's not balanced. That's why I like to use the word narcissistic traits. You know, bring those elements of narcissism into your emotions to help drive you to success. Use some of those things that are seen as being very negative to help prop you up, to help give you the confidence to move forward. Use those things to help you become more successful. But you got to make sure you just don't go overboard. Because if you go overboard, then you might be living blindly. And in that case, narcissism can be a very negative thing for you. Last but not least, golden nugget number five. This one's a doozy, it's a different one. Psychopathic traits actually make for stronger leaders. It's a different one because you consider the word psychopath. There's nothing positive that comes from that. It's all negative. You know, psychopaths, they work in their own interests. You know, they lie and they manipulate to, to serve their own needs. They might be dangerous, they have shallow emotions, they have no shame, they're overly confident in themselves. You know, they have no remorse. You know, when you think about uh, psychopaths, you you know, you go to the movies, and you think about Hannibal Lecter, or, you know, The Shining, for example, or, or you know, some of these murder mysteries, and it's never anything good. However, in reality, people that display psychopathic traits are oftentimes people that we need the most in society. Police officers, doctors, nurses, surgeons. Psychopathy isn't characterized by, you know, the need to murder someone or the need to take control of a situation in a dangerous manner. No, that's not what it means. When it comes to psychopathy and psychopaths, they're just better at handling crises and better at handling pressure. You know, when you're put in a difficult situation, for example, a terrorist attack, um, a bar fight that breaks out when you're out with your friends, natural disasters like tornadoes or earthquakes, it's these people with psychopathic traits are able to take control of these very stressful situations and help people when they're in need. You know, non-psychopaths, they tend to become overwhelmed in these areas. You know, they have very strong emotions that come out, such as fear or anger, and it puts them in a state of paralysis and inaction. And so what needs to be done doesn't get done. Psychopaths, on the other hand, they have no problem taking control, and emotionally detaching themselves from a very stressful situation. Now take, for example, a hostage situation. You know, a negotiator, for example, or somebody who's in a SWAT team. Their psychopathic traits, their ability to disconnect from the emotional side of things gives them a clear head, and it allows them to work out the best strategy to be successful in that situation. However, if they didn't have those traits, they would get stressed out. They wouldn't even be in that position in the first place because they get too anxious. They get too stressed out. They're not able to think clearly. It worries them too much. And so that's why when you, when you hear people say things like, um, it takes a special kind of person to do that. You know, for example, a brain surgeon or a nurse or a police officer or a soldier. You know, it takes a special kind of person to do that Yeah, you're right, it does take a special kind of person to do that And these kind of people, they have psychopathic traits that allows them to do what they do And we need them in society You know, for myself, it's funny Again, I'll use the example of martial arts And I'll I'll tell this story in more detail um, on Wednesday when I have the interview with Todd Cashton But um, I have psychopathic traits And these were developed over time by going through uh, full contact competitions You know, when I went through full contact um, uh, fights, these bare knuckle fights, you have to have a level of psychopathic traits in order to deal with the pressure of knowing, hey, I'm going to stand up here against this guy who is bigger than me, stronger than me, and I got to knock him out or I got to take him out. You know, you got to be some, you got to have some psychopathic traits in order to deal with that pressure, you know, to not allow your heart rate to raise up. So if I was to get into a bar fight, for example, and again, like I said, I tell this story on Wednesday, this kind of stuff doesn't doesn't worry me. You know, when I see a fight break out or someone challenges me, I'm able to stay calm, cool, and collected. I should tell a story to you guys right now, actually. Now that I have you here, I'll tell you this story. I've never told this before, it's very interesting. But last summer, I was out on a golf course. And so I got there, and my buddy was already there. You know, he was already there warming up on the green. And he, he, I come in, and he goes, Hey, Ryan, you would never believe what happened. I said, What happened? He goes, This drunk guy, this stupid guy, was trying to run over people on the golf course. I said, You gotta be kidding me. No way. What happened? Where are they? He goes, Oh, they're around here still. There's three of them. I said, That's nuts man, holy smoke. so I get my bag or whatever I go to the, the, um, the clubhouse, put my bag down and my buddy goes there they are right there. There's those two guys. they are drunk out of their minds just crazy drunk and uh, so they start talking to me and, and you know starting to pick a fight. they're like you know, you, what are you looking at you got a problem?" I said, no, I said I don't have a problem, but I heard that you guys were, were doing some um, uh, you guys were doing some questionable things and not very good things to other people here you know, I think you guys should probably leave, and who are you to talk to me like that, you can't talk to me like that, as he's poking me in the chest, and in this entire time, I'm staying cool, I'm cool and collected, my other two friends come in, so there's four of us now, and all of a sudden, there's one-third friend, who wasn't there, he bursts out of the clubhouse, and he's a big guy, really big, muscular, maybe 6'4", maybe 250 pounds, and I mean, I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm a fairly fit guy, but I mean, I'm, you know, six feet, you know, 100, 190 pounds lean, And uh, so he comes out of there and he's drunk too. What's going on here? He's an angry drunk. What's happening? And at that point in time, the guy who is taking care of the greens, he's a young kid. He's maybe 17 years old. And he goes, hey, Jeff, you tried to run me over. I don't want to see you here again. I'm going to put it forward and make sure that you get banned from this golf course. And so Jeff, this drunk guy, huge guy comes over to this young 17 year old kid, starts pushing him around and says, you can't talk to me that way. I'm a member here. I'm a member at this club. So all of a sudden I'm like, okay got to take control of the situation. So then me and my friends take control of the situation and long story short, um you know we did what we had to do to take control of this guy and hold him down and pr- protect, you know, all the people there and in the end the cops came, arrested them, charged them. I think they lost their membership and we had a great time. We did 18 holes, we got free beers, they gave us free golf balls. It was great. Now, why was I able to take control of that situation? And why was my other friend able to take control of that situation? My other friend who works in corrections, he's been put in these stressful situations all the time. He has psychopathic traits. Why was I able to stay calm in this situation and not get worked up or not get anxious, not get worried, not get fearful? Well, because I was put in these situations before with facing fo- full contact fights. I mean, I have psychopathic traits that allows me to deal with this stress. And so again, this just goes back to the scenario where I was saying earlier on, you're able to disconnect emotion from stressful situations if you have these psychopathic traits. And so it's not always a negative thing can be a very positive thing. At the beginning of this golden nugget, if I told you that at the very end of this, I would maybe convince you that psychopaths can actually be a positive thing for you in society. I bet you wouldn't have thought that. You change your mind now, huh? (laughs) All right, my friends, there we have it. That's the upside of your dark side. Why being your whole self, not just your good self, Drive Success and Fulfillment by Todd Cashton. Now, before I read this book, I didn't actually look at anxiety as a positive thing. I didn't really look at anxiety as an overly positive thing. I didn't look at things like anger as an overly positive thing. I always thought psychopaths were dangerous, murderous people. I never looked at those things as positives. But when I took a step back after reading this book and looking at my own life's experience and actually asking myself to say, is this book full of crap or can I actually take this seriously and learn something from it? Well, as I started to go through my life and go through my life experiences, I was like, yeah, you know what? This book is on point. And it's actually bang on because of all these life experiences that I've had with regards to anxiety or psychopathic traits. I can look back at these things and say, you know what? I I have psychopathic traits. You know, I actually have anxiety. But because of these things, I am actually able to become more successful. But because of these things, I am successful. And it's driven my success in life. And so I find it very interesting that a lot of these things brought to light a new perspective that I didn't have before. And that's all I can ask from a book. And I hope that's all you can ask from a book changing your perspective providing new knowledge. And for this book, it really provided me with a new perspective that uh, I didn't have before. So I'm very grateful to Todd Cashin for creating this book. And I'm very excited to talk to him on Wednesday. So again, the interview on Wednesday with Todd Cashin, where we're going to talk about this book. We're going to dig deeper into it. He's going to bring new stories, new anecdotes, new information to us that you're not going to get from this episode. So you definitely want to tune in on Wednesday when I have that interview with him. And um, I'll tell you right now, it was a great interview. Very good interview. And all my interviews are great. Maybe that's the narcissistic side of me, who's saying. And I don't know. But anyways, you guys, I hope you have an awesome day today. I hope you have an awesome day tomorrow. Tomorrow's a Tuesday. And I'll catch you back here on Wednesday with the interview with Todd Cashton. Until then, my friends, take it easy. I love you guys.
1: come in as a top-rated recruit I didn't come in with the opportunity to play right away I had to earn it and you know what the greatest honor I've ever received as a player is in my fourth year and my fifth year I was named team captain that to this day is the single greatest achievement I've ever had as a football player. because the men in this room chose me to lead their team and these were my best friends these were the guys that, that knew that I'd like to work, that knew that I love football, that knew that I love to play, that knew that I wanted to be the quarterback for Michigan. And all the lessons that I learned here on State Street and in the big house, that's still what I bring to practice today. And after 14 years, I love the game more than I've ever loved it. But where did I learn the love for the game? Where did I learn to practice? Where did I learn to compete? It was sitting in the same chairs that you guys are sitting in today.